Okay, everybody, and welcome into another episode of Before the Crowd. Uh, this month, we uh, it's a bit of a different episode, actually. We are looking into LGBTQ History Month as just a little part of this podcast. It's maybe not necessarily the main feature of it, but it's just something that we're looking into and exploring a little bit. So something a bit different. And for this episode, I'm sat here with Katie Pickles, who also goes under the artist name of Pillars. And Katie, welcome. Hello, it's a pleasure to be on the podcast. <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, just to get started, why don't you tell us a little bit about kind of yourself as an artist, uh, your music, maybe your project, you know, kind of as Pillars, um, mm-hmm. just to give us yeah. some background. Yeah, well, I, I first, when I first started making music from a young age, it was very much um, kind of acoustic, very kind of like raw music. And then when I moved to London, um, I think I kind of gained this this confidence that maybe was lacking before I lived in London, that was, I had this view that I just couldn't do the, the kind of tech side of music. And when I moved to London, I decided to teach myself production. And that was kind of the birth of Pillars for me. Um, it was almost as if, I kind of didn't want to use my real name because it was almost like that was the kind of past musical version of me. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, Pillars, it's kind of like electronic down-tempo music, but it's definitely got that um, kind of folk singer-songwriter behind it. There's always kind of a story behind the music because I think I, I use my roots in music and kind of amplify it through kind of the new production sound that I've kind of, branded for myself and and that's been growing for the past I think it's about seven years now and Pillars has taken several different musical forms since then but it's all that's kind of been the essence of it throughout and I'm currently going through another kind of remodeling of everything and I think that post-pandemic I think people are looking for more kind of upbeat pop light-hearted tunes definitely I mean I know I am from a consumer point of view And so I've, through lockdown, I've kind of been writing that to keep myself sane and also in the hope that, you know, I will fill that need in the market that people want kind of feel good music. So, um, yeah, watch this space for that kind of stuff coming up with Pillars. That sounds really interesting. And it's interesting how I think the pandemic has influenced your music to kind of go from you know, almost an identity shift of, you know, this is what you are as an artist. And then through a global pandemic, you come out of it very differently. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I think, I mean, the pandemic has been a very, um, a very weird one for me because at the start of the pandemic, I was um, living with my partner of two years um, in a really nice flat and we we had a dog and um Unfortunately, we were one of the uh, lockdown breakups. It all kind of fell apart and I had to move and negotiate sharing the dog and all of that. And so I think that I went from very, very happy and and kind of almost living in, because I was on furlough for three months as well. I was just making music and living in this little bubble with my other half and kind of in this almost surreal fantasy land and and then that all came to a stop and there was a period of time at the end of last year where I was writing really dark music and kind of going back to that very introverted retrospective writer um and then pulling myself out of that I've been writing really kind of elated very upbeat music so musically it's taken me on this amazing journey and I think that I really wanted to release all kind of different aspects of this and kind of see if I could become a writer that can have that diversity Mm. and I'm hoping I'm hoping that something from each period of of lockdown for me I can release something from it in the future but I'm starting with the elated kind of pop bangers because I think that's where everyone needs to be right now I mean I don't know I don't know what you feel but I've been listening to all of like going from like 80s pop to 90s pop right up until like more modern pop I've just been consuming it all because it's the only thing that kind of gets me up off my feet and just keeps me going really keeps me alive so 100% on that one yeah I I, I've actually gone more towards the country pop side of things and um, (laughs) friend Dion who I did the podcast with last month um, we've kind of our goal is after lockdown we're going to go to uh, it's actually an LGBT 
uh line dancing club i think it's like one of the only ones in london called i think it's called like cactus jack's line dancing or something that sounds amazing (laughs) (laughs) we found some online videos and trying to practice to it and i'm quite nervous about going because even though i'm a drummer you'd think i'd have a good sense of rhythm trying to look at my feet and make them do moves in a sequence with other individuals is very challenging yeah yeah I think like you know all credit to dancers because they've got to have rhythm but also coordination and I mean with all parts of their body I mean drumming you've got to have those two things but you don't have to concentrate on you know your hips your head (laughs) what am I doing what's going on yeah so totally I'm with you I'm with you on that it's difficult it's interesting to hear your kind of lockdown the journey and the transition Mm -hmm. you know obviously as an artist but I know and you were talking a little bit about this before before we started recording uh how you work for for air management can you like maybe tell us a bit about your role in that in the music industry and and how you guys have been affected by everything going on Uh uh-huh of course yeah I mean I'm quite lucky because um about I've been working there for about two and a half years now and um it was the first time I got a nine to five in the music industry. And I think I always had this view of people that were in nine to five, that it was kind of selling out and it was, it was not cool. And um, I'd gone from being a freelance musician um, a mental health advocate ad- ad- advocate, and went into a Monday to Friday, nine to five. But I'm so lucky in this pandemic to have stability, like especially in the creative industries. And I'm so grateful for it. And I, I also love my job at the end of the day. I love it. I um, I basically assist in managing 14 sound engineers that work under air management. Um, most of them started off as assistants at air studios, um, but some of them have been brought in um, from other, other parts of the music industry. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, I've had some amazing opportunities and met some amazing people working there. Unfortunately, the novelty of actually working in the studio hasn't been part of my job for the past year. Um, <clears throat> but hopefully this year I can get back to being part of studio life because that is the best part of my job. Just seeing who comes in and out of those doors and talking to amazing people from all parts of the industry is, is just it's so invaluable, really. That sounds really cool. Yeah, I can imagine you must have missed that a lot, sort of, you mm-hmm. know, as you said, being at home and being in that kind of that little bubble rather than it's just the interactions, isn't it, with other humans. And like you said, never knowing who's going to walk, walk through that door and then just getting mm-hmm. to converse with those people. It sounds like quite a treat. Yeah, definitely. I think that I'm such a social person as well that um, I'd, I'd never really I'd never really had to, you know, be by myself because I'm so social and I'm always keeping myself talking and keeping conversations going whether that's through my music and my professional life or personally it was very strange especially coming out of a breakup to just be by myself but I also think that was a lesson that I needed to learn as well um, mm. just how to be by myself and enjoy my own company and the pandemic forced me into doing that so I mean there's a bright side to everything isn't there <laughs> absolutely it's really strange because and I know exactly what you mean and I'm literally that person as well of being sociable you know you yeah everything around that and then kind of in the pandemic you become this little recluse mm-hmm. and then I, maybe it's a musician thing you know that kind of that obsessiveness but now I'm like obsessively a recluse and like I just want to work on music and I just want to do music and when you're at yeah. home recording and writing it is really easy to forget that there's other stuff out there Oh yeah, definitely. I think that, I think that, you know, what I learned about being by myself is I was quite bad at, you know, proactively finding creative things for me to do. I would, it would take, you know, a few hours of me being by myself before I I went, right, I'm going to go to the box and write a tune or, you know, whereas now I've kind of got this process where when I'm by myself, I've kind of taught myself right, this is what you're going to do. And I'm, it's almost kind of this internal monologue where instead of sitting and, you know, remunerating over things or worrying about things and letting my anxiety take over, I go, right, this is what we're going to do today, Katie. And, and you know, I've, I've immersed myself creatively as well. I'm actually, I've just bought my first bass, which is really exciting. <laughs> I mean, I can, I can play, I play synth um, and, you know, I produce. So, you know, 
playing synth bass is I, I'm kind of well versed in writing bass lines and all of that but actually playing a real bass I'm, I'm really excited to get my teeth stuck into that and hopefully I'll have a few months before I'm allowed back to socializing to just bury my bury my head in that really that's cool or, or you just got to work on that little bass break and you can call me Al the poor Simon oh you know, yeah once you've done <laughs> yeah. that your life is complete that's what you need to do definitely definitely so I'm interested as well because you know you were talking before when you were a freelance musician you were also a mental health advocate mm -hmm. um kind of what did that involve and, and to kind of what extent did you do that well I mean I'm 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 not first of all I'm not a professional kind of therapist or or whatever um but I have become a mental health advocate through experience basically so I, I suffered with an eating disorder actually in my last year of uni I was I was quite secretive about it um at the time but I went through um the recovery process as, I, as we were coming to the end of our graduation and um coming out of that I just was I was a completely different person and and therapy and you know studying myself um was one of the best things I've ever done and and so I just want other people to understand how amazing that can be um and I think that sharing a personal story like that can really connect with people because you know when you hear something personal about someone you think oh well if they can do it or if they've done this then you know who's to say I can't or it might kind of trigger some kind of thought process in in someone else's mind so I, I ended up um, becoming an ambassador for BEAT which is the UK's um, leading eating disorder charity mm. and from there I got I got work working with the McPin Foundation, which is a mental health research company. And then from there, I just I just I kind of jumped from one thing to another. And eventually there was opportunity for my music and my mental health advocacy to um, bridge, basically. And, and I, I've you know, I've I've talked at um, from me to you festival and I've talked at BBC Introducing Live about kind of how to manage your mental health as a just as a creative type, not necessarily just a musician. Um, I actually did uh, my master's on how to manage your mental health around a creative portfolio career. Um, so it was really interesting to take it to like a even more in-depth level. Um, and yeah, it's just become my thing. And I'm so passionate about just helping other people through experience, basically. 100%. Yeah, it's it's not always easy, I think, kind of when you end up helping other people with mental health, because it's for me at least kind of when I've I've done a bit of it in the past um probably not to the extent that you have it it's it's very easy to kind of internalize those feelings when you're mm -hmm. helping others and you kind of have to almost create that professional boundary mm -hmm. and and even if it's like a friend or something as well and just not take their emotions on yourself mm -hmm. because yeah. it doesn't necessarily help them yeah you know what I mean yeah definitely I think as well you know it's it's quite well known that people that give great advice don't always take their own and I think that through this journey of of you know trying to support people with their mental health or talk at industry events about how best to navigate your mental health around a creative career um I've always had to remind myself to take breaks if I'm not looking after myself mm. um because that's that's the priority at the end of the day and there's no point in me trying to help other people if I'm in a really hard place um but I do actually find it amazing sharing stories with people and their experiences and hearing what other people have been through. And I think that that process is therapeutic in itself. And I think even though you can have a lot of, you know, empathy for someone, I think it does make you stronger hearing that someone's been through the same thing or, or you know, even worse. It's, it's kind of, you know, it gives you strength knowing that someone's kind of pushed through that hard time and got to the other side. Absolutely. Yeah. And I th I think there's kind of a almost a power in numbers, isn't it? Because I think with mental health so often, you know, when it's happening inside your own head, it can feel very isolating for people. Mm -hmm. But when you hear, uh, which is why I was really interested to, to talk to you about some of these things in this subject as well. When you hear other people who have said, you know, like you mentioned your eating disorder mm -hmm. and even just like talking about beats in there. Mm -hmm. and people yeah. can go and look that up and then see exactly. okay so yeah. this is what they do this is how they could help yeah yeah I mean I am aware that um you know the awareness around mental health has just kind of come on leaps and bounds in the past few years but 
there is this there's kind of a safety in talking about things like anxiety that I think everyone to a level suffers from um but there's there's almost there is still this avoidance of talking about kind of more serious mental health issues and what they entail Mm. um it's almost like yes we're addressing kind of general low-level mental health but there's quite a big lack of recognition of kind of bipolar disorder and schizophrenia and and kind of the 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 kind of more grotesque parts of eating disorders because it's not a it's not a nice process and I think that there was where there was once a glamorization of eating disorders because it you know you know in in celebrity culture and things like that there was kind of a glamorization of of mental health illnesses there's now an avoidance of talking about the kind of darker side of these really serious illnesses so I think there is still there's still a long way to go um without trying to kind of force very dark information on people there is still there's still a long way to go in terms of actually being able to talk about it um, but it is amazing what's happened in the past few years for for the awareness around it. It's it's interesting how you said about kind of a glamorization around it, and I think there definitely are a lot of uh, mental health conditions where you know something like personality disorders, where I think, and even like schizophrenia, as you mentioned, because. I think there's almost a preconceived notion that people have and, you know, they've maybe seen a movie with it in or something. Mm -hmm. And, they, you you know, to use the example of, you know, Dustin Hoffman in Rain Man, Mm -hmm. people think that that is literally what autism is and Uh there's nothing else. And it's like, well, (laughs) there's a bit more to it. Definitely. Definitely. I did. I I really enjoyed watching in terms of, you know, um, autism kind of in the media because I know that that is a it's massively underrepresented um mm. but I mean there's so many people in my life that I know that have been diagnosed with autism so it's it's not that it's not around us it's just weird that it's it's not being shown correctly in the me- in the media at all um the the a word on the bbc I found really good and as as close as it could be to kind of real life um but I know that there's um there's been a big um controversy around Sia releasing I don't know if you've heard about Sia and the the, casting a kind of non-autistic actor to play an autistic actor and and the representation of kind of um stimming which is um you know sensory um I've forgotten what it stands for but it's um actions that would um kind of help the sufferer avoid feelings around their autism um, it can include things like hitting themselves repeat repetitive um leg movements um fidgeting mm. um that was represented in almost a, a to an exaggerated extent but to a point that it was just a bit ridiculous so it wasn't just the casting of a non-autistic actor it was also the content wasn't very tasteful um and it's a shame because I'm a massive Sia fan <laughs> and, I know, and I know that she's she's also had her own problems with mental health as well oh that's so even it's, worse then isn't I, it if people are getting on her about it I know yeah, yeah because it's not the first time you know I was just thinking about um Leonardo DiCaprio in what is it who's eating Gilbert Gilbert Grape or what's it you know the, the movie he did with Johnny Depp when he was like 18 or something oh yeah 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 and I, I don't know if it's kind of said in the dialogue but it's kind of you know implied that he has kind of autism or you know mm-hmm. like assisted mm-hmm. learning needs and you know everyone's like oh my god what a great performance oh you know he, he takes someone like that off so well yeah and then yeah it's interesting how maybe that's being shown more in the media now and it'd be interesting to see which sources uh, you know almost pushing back against this now yeah definitely I mean I think it's it's just a representation of minorities in general I mean particularly mental health and mental illness because I think mental health and me- mental illness are two very different things you know mental health is something that we all have it's the, the health of our mental state and mental illness is an actual diagnosis and, and should be taken far more seriously mm. um you know there's an underrepresentation in the media to address those things but there's generally uh, underrepresentation of people of colour, um, trans folk, and the LGBTQ community, LGBTQI 
plus <laughs> um, I, 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 I've only just got to a point where I'm like okay I'm gonna I'm gonna say it in full because it should be said in full but um, yeah I think there's an underrepresentation of, of all different kinds of minorities and we're getting to a point where it's being addressed but there's so much further to go I think Absolutely. And yeah, kind of kudos to you for, for saying the full name because it's, 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 I think it's right we should say it, but equally it is quite a tongue twister. Yeah, definitely. If I'm being honest, um, yeah. you know, but equally you, I think people are sometimes scared of getting things wrong. Definitely. With it as well. And, you know, saying the wrong name and if they just say LGBT or LGBT, LGBT plus, whatever, it, do you yeah. know what I mean? I think around minorities Mm -hmm. and maybe this comes back to your point as well you know that because they're so underrepresented people don't necessarily know the right things to say or know how to approach people that that aren't well represented yeah I mean I think that there's there's power in correcting yourself um, and kind of putting your hands up and saying okay I I got this wrong and it's it's all it's all personal growth and I think that I guess that's another silver lining to the pandemic is that we've all had to analyze our behaviors. There's been so much happening socially around us, even, even though we're all locked in our homes, there's been so much happening and it's really given us an opportunity. And I hope that people have taken the opportunity to look in themselves and correct their behaviors and and maybe learn a little bit more about the world around them. Because when we're actually in the world, we're so distracted by what's going on that we don't really think about it. Mm. um so yeah it does it it takes it takes making mistakes to get to that point of kind of full acceptance i guess i mean would you be okay maybe kind of sharing a bit of your story uh you know kind of through lockdown and this kind of acceptance um uh, mm-hmm. in into the the queer community yeah yeah i mean so i i have i've i've always kind of been into men and women um but for me even though i've kind of been experiencing you know sexual activities or you know relationship activities with men and women for the past i think it's about 5 years now um, I only fully came out as pansexual last year, um, but it's, I think in, in just, even just saying it to someone else, it's, it doesn't even have to be like a public announcement thing on social media or whatever. I know that people find that very cathartic as well, just to kind of put it out there. It's even just saying it to a friend or, you know, just having a conversation about it with my mum. I'm very lucky. My mum is very accepting. And um, if anything, I'm teaching her every day about, <laughs> about you know, different labels and, and the queer community. And um, she's really embraced it. But I think that there is it's, it's very self-affirming. It's it's almost it's almost the same as um, if you're going through a mental health issue and you get a diagnosis from a doctor, even though it's a horrible moment, it is a moment of, OK, I can accept to have something wrong with me instead mm-hmm. of trying to survive and fight all the time I can just give in to what's happening to me right now and I think that with sexuality I think that I was kind of so confused about where I was and where to place myself you know saying I was gay wasn't right saying I was straight wasn't right saying I was bi kind of it I don't know I think that weirdly there's there's quite a lot of um biphobia particularly in the gay community which is 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 um bizarre and there's there's quite a lot of hate for bisexuals and pansexuals um which is unfortunate but as soon as I heard about the label pansexuality it just fit me it just made so much sense and it was almost like finding a bit of myself even Mm. though you know the the label pansexual has has been around for for years and years and years, but it, it just helped me really feel comfortable with who I was and be able to say to people, this is who I am without tripping over my words and, and kind of getting confused and not knowing what to say. So um, I personally feel that the community around me has really accepted me coming out, but I know that 
um, pansexuality because of late it's kind of been seen as like the trendy jumping on the bandwagon type thing there's a lot of hate around it but actually I think that yeah it is trendy I feel proud to be pansexual I like that part of me but I didn't accept that as a label to kind of fit in with people I accepted that label because as soon as I heard it it was like right I'm attracted to men and women but also kind of people of all genders kind of non-binary trans and and it's just you love who you love Mm. and it's more about the personality more than anything else and for me that just it just fit so yeah 100% it's it's interesting you kind of calling it and seeing it as a kind of a trendy thing because I I personally just in my kind of own experiences and you know through people I've met in that it was kind of very much as you know obviously there's a difference between bisexuality and pansexuality but for me kind of as the acceptance and maybe a bit more representation not not that they are well represented but a bit more representation to maybe the trans community and more kind Mm -hmm. of universal acceptance Mm -hmm. I kind of saw those two as maybe merging together a little more in the sense that more people are either gender transitioning now and there's more acceptance more availability for it in a sense and so that way I think that kind of paved for the way for pansexual. Yeah definitely I mean I think that I think that for, for me it just I mean bisexual it means two genders right so as soon as I started thinking about everyone who I'd felt romantically or even sexually towards I was like the two genders don't fit it because I've been with people that are non-binary and and I don't want to exclude them from my own label Mm. that that wouldn't feel right um so pansexual just it you know it just makes more sense for me personally um but yeah yeah it's been a journey it's been a journey that's all I can say and and it's taken a long time for me to feel comfortable with a label and it took a lot of thought and I think that when people are accused of being trendy or jumping on the bandwagon or whatever I think that that hurts when you've gone through your own personal journey you know it it hurts when you've kind of put a lot of thought into who you are and actually taken the leap of saying right well this is me now Mm. um and I think that as well there's kind of a lot of hypocrisy not hypocrisy there's a lot of um kind of judgmental views about people changing their minds about things as well. I know people that, you know, came out as lesbian and that now have decided they're bisexual, you know, and and things change. We're constantly evolving as human beings. Um, And I think that the LGBTQ community is so supportive and so loving to one another, but there is this very strange view around you have to know who you are and it has to be it has to you know not conform to what's cool and trendy and whatever um I found it particularly difficult as well coming out last year because I I was actually in a a heterosexual with a relationship Mm. um when I came out I mean and, and it was through conversation with with him that actually I realized that about myself and I think that there's this view that maybe someone who is in a certain relationship at the time of them coming out it's not it's not valid because they're not with both genders um which which is um utterly bizarre really um and it made it more difficult for me to accept it about myself because there was all of these views buzzing around that were quite negative and I thought well I can't possibly come out whilst I'm in a heterosexual relationship that would be wrong but if I want to and it feels right to me I should be able to well, that's the thing as well. Like, yes, you were in a heterosexual relationship, but, you know, to me at least, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but that that is part of being pansexual. So, you know, as mm-hmm. you said, you're attracted to, um, well, firstly, the person. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, I don't know if you would say the person first and then the gender second. Yeah. Um. So, like, just because you're in a heterosexual relationship doesn't just kind of conform you to, to being a heterosexual. It's just, well, this is the person I found and it just so happens it it is heterosexual. Exactly, exactly, yeah, definitely. I mean, for me, it's not even, gender doesn't even come into the equation when I'm kind of thinking about someone romantically. Mm. Um, 
you know, as long as they've got a great personality, they can make me laugh. You know what I mean? There's just, it's the, you know, gender goes out of the window for me at that point. (laughs) So. Yeah. And I think it's the way that, you know, hopefully kind of people are moving forward in the future and kind of, you know, a lot of people say gender is dead, which I, I like to a degree that because I know people are coming from the sense of, you know, gender doesn't matter anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I think when you say gender is dead, it's still going to upset some people who. Definitely. I think that I think particularly with the trans community, um, I think that if 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 someone is is born and they think they are convinced that they are a certain gender that they haven't been born as they have to jump through so many hoops and so many processes and and through you know hormone changes physical surgery you know they have to go through so much to you know be be um labeled as the gender that they want to be labeled mm. that that then gender becomes very important for them so i think that gender is very important but i love that there is more of fluidity in it for for everyone and and it's becoming you know, a more well-known and more spoken about thing. Absolutely. And I suppose kind of, um, you know, in, in lieu of kind of, you know, the, the LGBT history month, um, and you were talking about kind of your own coming out story, was that something that you personally kind of, did you do that kind of social media purge as it were, or was it kind of to close friends and family or? I mean, actually it's, it's very strange. Last, I mean, it was, I think it was it was for Valentine's Day. I did a post that said, you know, I'm exploring ethical non-monogamy. I'm pansexual and I'm loving my own company at the moment. Happy Valentine's Day to me. And that's actually the first time that publicly I had said anything about my sexuality. Um, But I've been talking about it with friends and family and kind of came out to them for for the past 12 months. and have been exploring it in my own sexual and, and, and romantic life. Um, so yeah, I, I personally didn't feel the need to publicize it. And I do publicize a lot of my life because for me, with my mental health advocacy, it's it's about kind of putting my story out there and putting out positive messages. And if I'm going through a hard time, being really honest about it. Um, but this wasn't something that I felt the need to share. And I have shared it now, but it didn't it didn't make a difference to me personally um, because the real, the, the most important thing for me was the realization to myself and, and the people around me and telling them. Um, mm. But I do know that for some people coming out on social media, it, it's, it, it is part of their journey and it's important to them. Um, and I think that it, it, it can lead to a lot of, you know, online abuse and things like that, which is just, is really unfortunate and, and, is awful because it kind of degrades the journey of the person but I know how important it could be to someone to come out on social media whether they get the hate or not you know it's kind of just saying I don't care this is me you know it's really odd isn't it how I think you know the the coming out story which is you know as you said you you said to your family members and your mum's really supportive and your close friends you know to me at least seems so official and so important like literally the closest people to you know this but it's odd how it almost can become officialized when strangers or people who you haven't seen since high school then see it and then it's sort of right now it's official do you know what I mean it seems so backwards how social media is is almost prioritized in our lives that much yeah and I think as well you know people have a screen to hide behind um, so if they see something that they don't like, doesn't fit with their views, they disagree with, it's very easy for them to put up a fight about it, which they wouldn't do in, in face-to-face, you know, real life. Um, and it's a shame because the internet can actually bring, you know, so much support for someone going through a journey with their sexuality or their gender or their mental health or whatever it is there are communities online that can help support them and and it can connect people from all over the world you know I've got friends that exist purely online that you you know especially during the pandemic you know it's it's your main form especially if you live alone it's your main form of communication it can be it can be so amazing and bring so much to our lives but it can be really abused and used in the wrong way. Yeah, it's 
I suppose it's it's so difficult with something like that, you know, because it's definitely not a one size fits all and each person's community and their own individual journeys, mm-hmm. they're just going to be unique. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's it's nice to hear kind of, you know, I'm guessing at least from the most part of yours, it's it's generally been quite positive. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that I'm very lucky in that there's <clears throat> I have friends um, that are gay or queer. I, I mean, I like using the word queer. I know that a few people don't like using the word queer because once upon a time it was used negatively. But I feel mm. like the LGBTQ community have claimed that back. Um, yeah. So I've got friends that are queer that their families just don't accept them or they kind of half accept them, but they just don't talk about their sexuality with them. And it's, it's I'm, I'm so, so lucky that my mum has just always been whatever makes you happy. Um, but I know that that's, that's not something that everyone has. Um, because you can you can choose your friends but not your family and if they don't accept you it can be really heartbreaking because that is your family at the end of the day there's nothing you can do about that and there are there are lots of people in the queer community whose families are the queer community because they they just can't accept their own family can't accept them so they've had to look elsewhere for that kind of support which is um is is it's just awful it's just i can't believe that it's also homophobia is just it's such a thing still today I I can't believe it with how accepting everyone comes across it still exists the same with racism the same with with you know with sexism anything you know it still exists um but you've just got to immerse yourself in the communities that do support you and do care about you and and you know stick with stick with the supportive words that you get from them rather than I know that it's difficult when it's your own family, but, you know, mm. there are people out there that do care about your story and about your journey for everyone. So I think it's really uh, it, it <laughs> when it comes to homophobia now, I think it's just so laughable. Mm-hmm. I just mm-hmm. can't believe it. Mm-hmm. People have that viewpoint. It's just that kind of pinch me moment. Like, are you, are you being ironic now? Like, are you yeah. messing with me? Is this yeah. actually how yeah. you feel? Yeah, I know. And it's 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 really annoying because you know if I'm if I'm out with a girl who I'm seeing or dating or whatever I I feel I can't act physically in the same way with her as I mean I can't right now obviously because they <laughs> meet from one another but in the past I have felt this that I can't I can't act in the same way with her unless I'm in an LGBTQ safe space mm. because you just it's it's not even just obvious things like comments being made to you from generally guys just going to put that out there not that I want to stereotype but it's all from guys but um it's also just looks people are still fascinated with with what what for some reason is still labeled as alternative lifestyles it's it shouldn't even be labeled as that for to me because it's just it's just a lifestyle it's just a choice but it's also the looks that you get. And, and it's a shame because, you know, then then you're missing out on so much intimacy that you could be having with that person. It's just such a shame. And I never feel like that when I'm out and about with a guy, if I'm seeing him. And it's, it's so weird, the difference of emotions that I have within myself. And I wish I could say, oh, I don't care. But at the end of the day, if I'm getting judgmental looks, I do care. <laughs> So. Yeah, I think that's a reality that a lot of people would feel. And I suppose it's a certain self-awareness that, you know, you shouldn't necessarily be made to feel just, you know, based on an environment or based on other people's viewpoints. Kind of as as you, you said before, you know, whatever makes you happy. If you're not hurting anyone, you're not harming anyone. I mean, like, I, I it feels like I'm stating the absolute obvious sat here with you talking about this, because obviously, like, like the majority of people were kind of on the same wavelength mm-hmm. with this. But, yeah, there are still people who who aren't and I think it's very difficult for people who are maybe you know inclined towards you know what is seen as an alternative lifestyle uh-huh. and is seen as different from that person's norm you know yeah yeah definitely and I think that it doesn't even just come in the obvious of kind of comments from passers-by and stares and things like that it's also kind of everyday homophobia or or, or not even homophobia it's kind of stereotyping so I think that because because of because of the the I don't want to blame the porn industry at all because I I don't think it's an industry that should be blamed for this kind of thing but because 
um, lesbians have been depicted in a very kind of sexual, promiscuous way, it really degrades the intimacy of a lesbian relationship. You know, it's it's there's a meme going around um, about there's a meme for everything, isn't there? These days? <laughs> but, but there's a meme going around that says something like when he says he'd happily watch you with a girl, but when it comes to you with a guy, it's cheating. And it really degrades lesbian intimacy. It's as mm. if lesbians can't possibly have a romantic relationship at all. And actually an, an ex-boyfriend of mine um, said that if it's with the same sex, it's not cheating, but it is. That degrades, that degrades the whole intimacy of, of the queer community. It's, it's awful. Yeah. And I think then I see what you mean. Absolutely. It's just seen as like a sexual lust. Yeah. Um, rather than, yeah, rather than a, a romantic intimacy. And it's interesting how we've kind of been talking. I, I, you mentioned it a little while ago and you, you were saying, you know, obviously exploring as a pansexual, exploring the sexual side of things, but also the romantic side. And I think that sometimes is forgotten when we talk about these subjects because it's often, okay, you know, this is the, uh, you know the the gender of a group of people that you're physically attracted to, but you know I think it's so much more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I think that's. I think that sometimes bisexuals and pansexuals are kind of seen as gays that can't let go of being heterosexual, or people who are t- heterosexual that want to be a bit wild <laughs> and. And and that again, that again takes away from the the romantic feelings you might have towards the same sex or or someone who is non-binary or transgender or whatever. It it really does take away the importance of your relationship with those people, and that it, it's it's just frustrating to hear. And I think that it's so easy for people to pass judgment if they're not if if they don't know anyone in their own life that can talk to them about this or they aren't pansexual or bisexual themselves, yeah. it's so easy to just pass judgment like that. Um, and I get it. Sometimes it happens. Um, but I think that it needs to be corrected. And I do try and correct friends of mine, whether they're part of the queer community or, or they're heterosexual or whatever. I do, I do pick up on this with people. And even though it might come across as kind of, the annoying pansexual police. I it needs to, it needs to be done to make a difference. Really, it's a, it's the same with anything, any kind of you know discriminatory behaviour. It needs to be called out. Absolutely, and I think uh, you know not to deter too much from the subject, but I think you know part of uh, the movement that came out of Black Lives Matter was obviously looking mm-hmm. at institutional racism and things that we took for granted, and and I think it can almost be a be applied here when it's um, you know to coin a phrase homophobic um like institutionalized homophobia because it is you know these as you said about kind of lesbians it's like as like as a white male you know this is kind of what you're programmed to think and what you're programmed to see but you know that's just the viewpoint you've maybe been brought up on or uh, like the porn industry has revealed to you and revealed to the public and it's about challenging those uh kind of indoctrinated viewpoints I think I mean, no one can help what they pick up on as a child or a teenager. No one can erase that knowledge that is there. And, and that's the knowledge that you grow up believing. Your ethics and your morals are based on your learning. Mm-hmm. But there is opportunity to change that if, if you don't see it fits right for you or fits right for the people around you that you care about. Um, and I think it's about not just other people calling other people out, but also calling yourself out on things. Um, I know that just after the Black Lives Matter movement kind of really gained traction, I, I was I was at a kind of group gathering in a park in Victoria Park with kind of friends that I knew and friends that I'd never met before. And um, I was chatting to um, a, a black friend of a friend and talking about his moving to the UK from Africa and kind of having this stereotype in my head that he would have come from poverty in Africa. And I was having this conversation with him and I stopped halfway through and he was, he was, you know, talking to me and he was saying, Oh, well, I've never, I've never really experienced much discrimination because I'm quite lucky and I come from a family with, with money and, and I've got, I've got a master's and 
I, you know, I'm well educated and, and I had to stop myself. And I, I actually turned to him and I said, I'm really sorry. Like, I shouldn't have presumed all of those things that I've just said. And he was like, don't worry, it's fine. I get it all the time. And I said, no, I said, no, but I need, I need to correct myself here and I need to apologize to you. And I think you can easily call yourself out if you're really thinking about what you're saying and what you're doing. And I think that that comes with, I think for me, I'm, I'm a massive overthinker, which means I'm constantly self-analyzing. And I, I would like to think that this is one of the positives of being an overthinker. It's that I am constantly thinking about my behavior to other people and, and whether it's right and whether it's just and whether it, they feel comfortable with it. Um, and I think it's, it's easier to do than people think calling themselves out. Yeah, as you were just saying that example, of, you know, kind of me of a friend of a friend, it, it instantly made me think to what you'd previously said about how you know kind of what we what we're exposed to when we grow up and you know kind of growing up in the UK for me at least my first kind of memory of seeing African lifestyle was the adverts the donation adverts on uh was it like comic relief uh-huh, red yeah. nose day and it was like oh you know look at all this poverty we all need to like you take your pound into school so yeah. you can have a non-uniform day yeah. and you're like I'm helping African people today yeah and then as an adult when you it's yeah it's completely different isn't it and I I think it's such an honest and open way to to approach it and even to say in the conversation to that person oh my god I just thought of you like this um I'd had a beer I'd like to say (laughs) I was I was was speaking aloud but um but I'm glad that I did I'm glad that I did because instead of me going away and thinking about it and thinking oh I should have said something I actually did and I think he felt a hell of a lot better for it and the rest of the day we had such a laugh together and I think it just brought that extra level of respect because you know if he gets this all the time and he's not even saying anything to me that's how much he gets it he can't he just you know I also I've kind of realized this recently um that minority groups have to constantly call people out and they constantly have to stand up for themselves and and make sure that the minority groups that they come from are getting recognition. But why should that be their job? Mm. They've already, they're, they're already minorities and they're already suffering. Why should it be their job to help people make all of this progress with themselves? It should be the people who, who don't recognize the lack of diversity in themselves and acceptance in themselves that do the work. Um, so yeah, I've, I've recognized that recently, especially working in the industry, um, uh, because it's International Women's Day soon, a lot mm-hmm. of my engineers, uh, we, we manage two female engineers and they're being asked to do um, a lot of events um, around International Women's Day. Um, and I think that it's almost as if they're having to do a lot of work that is sometimes not paid because they need to help themselves get recognition as a minority. Women need to help give back to the community they're from, which is the women in music industry, in order to get recognized. But if they're not being paid for their time and effort, that's undervaluing what they're doing. And yeah. And it's really caused this conflict within me thinking, well, why, why should women have to do the work to be recognized when they're the ones in the first place not getting the recognition that they deserve? It just, uh, it absolutely baffles me. It baffles me. No, I, I know what you mean. And it, it, sounds, it sounds awful on the surface, but I've never been a great fan of International Women's Day because not for what it represents, but I think the the tokenism it kind of instills in people when it's like well if we just do this this one day a year and just get a few women to talk then we can show we're doing something and for me it's always been uh you know tick box that's what it is absolutely it's just reacting to an issue rather than actually looking and addressing the issue itself it is it's just tick boxing it yeah and it should be a constant evaluation of whether you're achieving diversity in whatever company you work for every day. It shouldn't be just on one day. Are we achieving diversity on this one day of the year? Let's make sure we do by ticking boxes. No, it should be, it should be a constant, a constant, 
you know, goal to achieve diversity in your own personal life and professional life. Yeah, 100%. Um, just as we start to wind down a little bit now, kind of one of, one of the last things I wanted to ask you was, you know, as we, we've talked about you going through, uh, you know, this kind of musical transition st- stage during lockdown and now sort of, you know, going a bit more on your social media as, you know, kind of outed as a pansexual. Mm-hmm. Do you think that it's going to necessarily influence the image you put out to people? And do you think that your audience will maybe see you differently now? I mean, I, I feel since coming out, even just to my friends and family, I'm, I'm a lot more myself. And, you know, I was, I think before I, I mean, I'm obviously still growing as a person and always learning. And I think everyone should kind of see themselves as an evolving human being all the time. Um, but the place that I'm at now, because I've accepted so much about myself and made it public knowledge I'm actually relaxing into who I am and I think that it's really important that you have an authentic sense of self as an artist because otherwise what you're projecting out to the world isn't an accurate representation of who you are and it becomes inauthentic and I think you know being being an authentic can it really does show especially on social media you can tell when someone doesn't have a fully realized version of who they are as an artist mm. so I think with this I've got an upcoming release that's hopefully hopefully going to be out by the start of summer um all of the content around it is is very colorful and it's kind of got this badass edginess to it which I felt before I'd kind of realized certain things about myself, including my sexuality, but also including, you know, getting through a a, quite a difficult journey with my mental health. I think before those things happened, it was almost like there wasn't as much color and vibrancy and and kind of confidence behind my image as as an artist, because that was lacking in me personally. So, Mm. so yeah, I'm hoping that, it's going to be a lot more me. It's, I think that my, my fan base are going to know more about me just through what I'm projecting, not just through kind of saying I'm openly pansexual or whatever. I think that, that that's going to be communicated just by the way that I act and look. Okay. So um, it's exciting. It's really exciting. <laughs> no, absolutely. That's actually a really uh, lovely note to end on, actually, just kind of a, a great message of authenticity and just being yourself, I think. It's a Definitely. really nice way to end. I think that we've all been there kind of pretending that you like something because it's cool or saying that you know about something because it's cool or because of the people. You know what I mean? Like, And I feel like I was trying to be cool for so long, whatever cool is. I think since high school, I was like, I always wanted to be that cool person in the cool group do you know what I mean and <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. as soon as I just accepted me for me you automatically become cool because that's the coolest <laughs> thing you can do being authentic and honest and open is the coolest thing you can do so yeah I think that's a great note to end on <laughs> absolutely thanks so much Katie I really really enjoyed this and thanks for having me as well it's been great chatting